And so I've got to be honest with you, I didn't even know really what Advent was about, Advent wreaths and candles, and it just didn't make sense to me. And a lot of times, if that's our background, we look at that and we say, I'm not sure I want to be a part of that. I'm not sure really even what it means. And so we have up here actually five different candles, and they symbolize the five services that we're going to have leading up to Christmas morning. And today, the first candle has been lighted, and that symbolizes the big idea of hope. And that's what we're going to focus on today. Next week, we're going to look at peace on the 14th joy, on the 21st love, and that's going to culminate on Christmas Eve. Adam is actually going to preach for us on Christmas Eve this year and look at what does the birth of Jesus really mean for us today. Before we get to the message, however, very important announcements I need to make. December 13th is the grab-and-go. This is one of the greatest outreach opportunities that our church has every year, and it has been a record low turnout in terms of volunteers. So I need some of you, you've got an insert in your bulletin, I need you to volunteer to help either that day or the week before. Cody's going to talk about it a little bit at the end of our service today. Huge event, it would be a tragedy if it cannot continue. So please consider giving time either that day, Saturday the 13th, or the week leading up to it. Two weeks from today, there will be no Bible school classes meeting at 9.30, and we're asking everybody to, to pack the sanctuary to encourage our choir as they present their annual Christmas cantata, 9.30 on the 14th. December 21st, we're trying a new event around here. We're calling it Nativity Sunday, and my hope is to have as many as 100 nativity scenes throughout our building in the Family Life Center, in the foyer, and even in here. We're going to look at what, what the nativity is all about, and so if you have a nativity set, we would love to have you bring it and set it up and put your name on a placard so people know that that's your nativity set. We just need them for that Sunday. You can bring them home uh, when church is over that day, but we're hoping to have a lot of visitors come that day to check out the 100 nativity sets. I think it's going to be a neat day. Christmas Eve at 5 and 7 on the 24th, and then one service Sunday, family Sunday on the the uh, 28th at 9.30 a.m. We're going to have all three styles of worship that day. We're going to have some traditional worship, we're going to have some contemporary worship, and we're going to have some junior church worship led by that famous worship leader, Cody Monkman. So you're going to want to come out that day for our family Sunday on the 28th. What do you hope will happen? What do you hope will happen in the next week? What do you hope will happen in the next month? What do you hope will happen in the next year? Think about that for just a moment. I gave you a slot on your sermon outline to, to answer that if you want to, but just think about that for a moment. If you could hope for anything, what would your hope be for the next week? What would your hope be for the next month? What would your hope be for the next year? As I was preparing this message in the early part of the week, it was 19 degrees as I started writing this, and my hope for the next week was that the weather was going to get warm and I'd be able to go on a 30-mile bike ride, and it's 62 degrees today for a high, so guess what I'm doing this afternoon? I'm hitting the bike. That came true. Hoping for the next month. My, my hope for the next month, I want to spend a lot of time with family. Uh, my daughter is away at college, and I'm hoping that over the next month we'll get to spend a lot of time, Greg, Marla, Jordan, Peyton, doing whatever we do. Next year, what, what do you hope will happen in the next 12 months? That's a long time. 
And so maybe for you, your hope is that your job situation will be much better a year from now. Maybe you're hoping that some medical condition that you're dealing with right now will be no more a year from now. Maybe you're hoping that some family circumstance or situation, maybe you're alienated from someone today, and you're hoping that a year from now that'll change. Hope, man, hope is powerful. Hope gets candidates elected. When a candidate can convince the, the, the populace that hope can be a reality. And so this morning, the, the big idea, the theme, the first takeaway from our Christmas series is I want, I want you to see how Christmas is always connected to hope. Even before there was Christmas, there was hope. But before we get to the good, I've got to start with the depressing. And here's the depressing. Sometimes in life, Man, hope seems so very far away. Sometimes in life, hope seems very far away. I want to talk today extensively about maybe the two most famous prophets in Scripture. They have the two largest books of prophecy in our Bible, the prophet Isaiah and the prophet Jeremiah. And and for Isaiah and Jeremiah, their present-day ministry context, I, I would call it challenging at best. And I want to tell you a little bit about what they were going through. We've been going through the story, and most of us that are here today have journeyed through at least part of the story. If you have not been with us, we left off two weeks ago with David becoming king. And David is king, and the promise that God made to Abraham is being fulfilled. God said to Abraham a long time ago, I'm going to make you a nation and a land and a blessing. And when David becomes king, they are a nation, the nation of Israel, and they have a land, the promised land, and it looks like the blessing is getting ready to flow. And when we come back to the story in five weeks, we're going to look at David on January 4, and then his son Solomon on January 11, and that's about as good as life can be for Israel. They they are no longer a people wandering in the wilderness without a land. They are a force. Dare I even say they are a superpower in their day. 1000 BC, Israel had arrived. And if you were living during that time, you thought, wow, God got this one right. But you would only have to go three, four hundred years later down the road to see that, man, things started to crumble and they changed in a big way. See, when Isaiah began to have his public ministry of prophecy around 700 B.C., people argue about the exact dates, uh, but he, he ministered for about 40 years around the 700 B.C. period of time. Let me tell you how bad things were for God's people. There had been a civil war within Israel. And so you no longer have this united people, but you have the northern kingdom and you have the southern kingdom. And they wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to have kings. And so God gave them their wish, and they have kings. And if you go through the list of the kings of Israel, the north, and Judah, the south, you're going to find out that more times than not, these kings were bad. They were evil. They were rotten. And so every time God's people thought, we finally got a good one, it just seemed like it went bad. And by the time we get to Isaiah's public ministry, the northern kingdom is so far gone, God is so finished with them, he allows the superpower of the day, the Assyrians, to overrun them. And the northern kingdom is no more. It fell, Samaria fell in 722 B.C., historical fact. And so Isaiah is trying to prophesy to the southern kingdom, Judah, and tell them, you've got to get your act together. 
Look at what is happening to your brothers and the sisters in the north. You've got to get it together. Discouraging, discouraging time. Jeremiah, his ministry was about 100 years later. He ministered sometime from around 625, 630 B.C. to about 575 B.C. And it's during that period of time that the southern kingdom of Judah will eventually fall. Not to the Assyrians, but to the Babylonians. Have you heard of King Nebuchadnezzar? These are the days of Nebuchadnezzar. And the Babylonians will eventually destroy Jerusalem. They will devastate that holy city. And so for Isaiah and Jeremiah, man, tough, tough ministry context. Tough to get out of bed in the morning. Tough to want to stand before the people and bring encouraging words. Tough ministry context. Now you may say, man, I'm glad we don't experience that. But you know what? I think sometimes the modern day challenges that we face can erase all semblance of hope as well. When we look at the problems in our world, the problems that our friends and family go through, the struggles that we ourselves face, it can erase all hope. Hope. It's just gone. Monday night, my son began his high school basketball career. Good first game. Came home, excited, smiles all around. And then I turned on the television. And it was Ferguson, Missouri. And I saw buildings being ravaged and businesses being destroyed and cameramen being attacked, reporters being cursed at. It's not a third world country I'm watching. It's not a far distant land that I'm watching. It's Ferguson, Missouri. Mile and a half from St. Louis Christian College, one of our sister schools. I wonder if you went to bed in Ferguson, Missouri on Monday night, if you wondered if there was any hope left at all. But it's not just Ferguson, Missouri. It can be all around us. And if we're not careful, the circumstances of life can absolutely suck the hope out of us. And like the prophet Isaiah and like the prophet Jeremiah, we can just kind of throw our hands up in the air and say there's no hope at all. Welcome to church. Pretty encouraging message, right? Here's the cool thing about week one of Christmas at FCC, about this idea of hope is Isaiah and Jeremiah, they could have pouted. They could have said, God, I'm all done. They could have said, I want no part of this. They could have said, this world really stinks. But in Isaiah chapter 9 and Jeremiah chapter 33, I think we find two of the most hopeful passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. Even in the midst of Assyria dominating the north and, and, and Babylon destroying the south, Isaiah and Jeremiah are preaching and teaching hope. And so as we begin Christmas together this year, I want you to see four things about hope this morning. And number one is this. Hope is about a promise. Hope is about a promise. I love what Isaiah says in, in the first couple verses, and I, I didn't include all of it, but I've got most of it in there. Isaiah 9, the first three verses, he says, Nevertheless, there'll be no more gloom for those who are in distress. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. You have enlarged the nation and increased 
their joy. Isaiah is saying, even though times are tough now, a better day is coming. Jeremiah said it like this. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the gracious promise I made to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. For hundreds of years, God's people longed for hope. They longed for a different day. They longed for a time when they were no longer being overrun by superpower after superpower. They longed for a day when hope would become realized. And God's promise through Isaiah and Jeremiah is this, better days are coming. Better days are coming. If you find yourself here today and you're, you're discouraged, I talked to a good friend last night, just really discouraged about his church situation. Just shaking his head. Saying, what are we going to do? We had it so good. What a mess we have. Better days are coming. Hope is about a promise. Secondly, hope is about a person. It's not just a pie-in-the-sky promise. It's not just a close your eyes and everything will be better. But Isaiah and Jeremiah, they speak to an actual person that is coming that's going to change everything. Now, you're going to recognize this next passage of Scripture. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And those are the words of songs that we sing. They make for beautiful poetry. But in a devastating, discouraging time in God's people's history, Isaiah says there's hope coming and it's a promise, but do not miss this. It is a person. No longer are you going to have to deal with the crummy kings that that you've experienced today. No longer will you deal with uh, the corruption that's ongoing. I will raise up an actual person, a Messiah, a Savior, and everything will change. uh, Jeremiah said it like this. He said, in those days and at that time, I will make a righteous branch sprout from David's line, and he will do what is just and right in the land. Can you imagine how cool it must have been? You're God's people. The Babylonians are kicking you over and over and over again. The walls of Jerusalem either have fallen or are about to fall. And do you see the name in that scripture that I guarantee you brought a smile to to the faces of God's people? David. David was their hero. David was their greatest king. And Jeremiah says, hang in there. Stick with me. Better days are coming. And oh, by the way, he's going to be from the line of David. He's going to be like David. And he's going to do what's right. And he's going to do what's just. And everything is going to change. Hope is about a person. An actual Messiah is coming to save. That's the message here. An actual Messiah is coming to save. Now, I have to say this just from an integrity standpoint. This created some problems for God's people when Jesus actually came in the first century world. Because they weren't expecting a Jewish carpenter 
from nowhere. They were expecting David the warrior. They were expecting David the politician. They weren't expecting just an average guy who had carpenter skills. And so it created some problems. But don't miss, hope is about a person. An actual Messiah is coming to change. Third, hope changes us today. Hope changes us today. When I think about hope, I always think about the future. I hope one of these years the Cubs will win the World Series. It's always in the future. It's always wait till next year. We don't think of hope being in today. But hope, if we really buy it, if we really accept it, if we really get into Isaiah's mind and Jeremiah's mind, hope changes us today. Isaiah said it like this. He said, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Jeremiah, I think, says it even better. He says, in those days, Judah will be saved. Jerusalem will live in safety. This is the name by which it will be called the Lord our righteousness. Then you may say, how's that change them today? That's tomorrow, down the road. How's it change them today? When you really accept hope, when you really buy into hope, when you really accept that hope isn't just pie in the sky, but it's reality, your life on this earth is changed forever. See, once you accept the hope that only Jesus offers, the hope that only the Lord offers, you will never be the same. You'll never be the same. You'll stop looking at things the way everybody else does. Your values will change. Your perspective will change. Will you still be sad? Yeah. Will you still be discouraged? Absolutely. But it's like the Apostle Paul said to the Thessalonians, you can grieve like everybody else, but grieve with, don't grieve like people who have no hope. You've got hope. Hope changes everything. So I don't know where you're at this morning, spiritually speaking. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe you're here because it's Thanksgiving weekend and you had to come. Someone drug you to church. I don't know. But I'll tell you this, if you buy into the hope that only Jesus offers, it'll change you in the future, but it changes you today. You'll never be the same. And that brings me to number four. And here it is. Hope is dangerous. That's the fourth thing I want you to understand is hope. Hope is really dangerous. I know some of you, I can tell it in your eyes, you're saying, I'm with you on hope as a promise, and I'm with you on hope as a person, and I'm with you even on hope changes us today. But how can hope be dangerous how can Jesus be dangerous? I, I just have to say, proceed with caution. Hope will change you in crazy, radical kind of ways. One of my favorite movies, I think it's like 20 years old now, I'm getting old, but it's The Shawshank Redemption. I love the movie The Shawshank Redemption. Um, you know, if you're a parent, I wouldn't just put it in the uh, DVD, I would preview it before you show it to your children. But in, in the movie The Shawshank Redemption, one of the prisoners read, utters this phrase, and it's stuck with me forever, and here's what it is. Hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. And I don't want to talk about going insane, but I agree that hope is a very dangerous thing. That when you really, truly buy into hope, 
When it's more than just a word, it's more than just a Christian theme, it's reality for your, yourself and for your life. If you're not careful, it will ruin you in the very best kind of way. Hope will ruin you in the very best kind of way. You may say, how can hope ruin you? Well, if you love this world, and if you love the things of this world, and if you love American Christmas, if you love all the traditions, and and the most important thing about Christmas is the gifts and the tree and, and all of that, if you really buy into this biblical hope thing, it's going to ruin you. It's going to change you in the very best kind of way. You may say, well, give, give me an example. I'll give you an example. Church in our family several years ago accepted the Advent Conspiracy Challenge. And they said, we're not going to do presents for one another this year. We're not going to do presents for others this year. But we're not just going to sit on that money. We're not just going to save that money. We're going to pool that money. And we're going to buy a well for a family in Africa. And if you're just kind of checking the Christianity thing out, you think, well, that's stupid. You're not going to give presents? We can't have Christmas with no presents. What are you talking about? See, hope, hope's become a reality. Hope is dangerous. Or it's like that family indicator that decides every Christmas day they have a beautiful home. They're going to open up their home, and they're going to invite others who have no place to go to come to their home for Christmas. And so they've got a house full of people, some they don't even know, and they spend the whole day getting ready for it. And you say, well, is that what Christmas is all about? I thought Christmas was about being in your pajamas and the fires in the fireplace, and you open the stockings and you watch a Christmas story. Isn't that what Christmas is all about? Well, if hope becomes a reality, it might ruin a tradition or two. It might ruin that Norman Rockwell painting that you try to live out every Christmas day. Hope is dangerous, so proceed with caution. Friends, I want to leave you this morning with three questions to consider this Christmas season. And not just today, not just November 30, but for these next 25 days as we get ready for the big day. I want these questions to kind of roll around in your mind and in your heart. Question number one, where, where is your hope centered? Where is your hope built? What's your hope look like? In what have you placed your hope? At our first service, sometimes we sing the hymn, and I won't sing it for you this morning, but uh, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' love and righteousness. Is that a song you can sing in your heart? Or have you built your hope on the stuff of this world? Have you built your hope on the people of this world? Where is your hope centered? Question number two, as a Christ follower, has your hope expanded or has it diminished? Is it greater today than it's ever been or is it just kind of, well, yeah, you know, someday we're all going to go to heaven. Yeah, it's going to be great. Streets of gold. Yeah, awesome. How is your hope meter today? When I was in my teens and my 20s, man, I was convinced my favorite baseball team, the Chicago Cubs, was going to win the World Series. I I really was. I mean, and every year they'd sign some pitcher I never heard of, and man, 
this is the year. And it was always wait till next year. And I'm 45. That's really old. And at 45, I, I've just become really cynical. I really have. And I want it to happen. But man, what's it been, 107 years, 106 years? And you start just saying, man, that's never going to happen. And as a follower of Jesus, is hope real? Is it alive? Is it stronger today than it's ever been? Or is that just something from your childhood? And it's not reality for me today. And then question number three, how has the hope of Jesus ruined you? That's the question I really want many of us to focus on, especially those of us that have been around the church a long time. How has the hope of Jesus ruined us? And I would just say, it's not too late for 2014 to do something that the world might say is radically crazy. That might be just really special, really God-honoring, a memory you'd never forget. Touching a life, touching lives, impacting, hurting people, ministering to people in need. How has the hope of Jesus ruined you? My prayer this year is that you enjoy the Christmas season. We all go to parties, we we do gift exchanges, we eat way too much, we don't exercise. It's a great time of the year, and I hope you enjoy it. But my hope more than anything else is that a word that can define your Christmas this year is hopeful. That as we move toward December 25th, you will live a life of hope in Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for today. And thank you for the difference that you make in our lives. Thank you for the hope that only Jesus brings And it's my prayer that that hope won't just be a theme from a Christmas service, but that it'll be reality for our lives today. We love you, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Samuel and the team are going to lead us in a song at this time. And during this time, if Jesus isn't Lord of your life, I'd love to talk with you about what it means to truly buy into the hope that only Jesus brings. I'll be up front. If you want someone to pray with you, I'm up front. I'd love to have the chance to pray with you. Cody Monkman from our staff is in the back. He'd love to pray with you as well as we stand together and we sing our song. My hope is built on nothing less.